ADD is going to not be good with this. There's a big hum up here. Okay, that's better. First Peter is a, a really a practical book for us in our time. Um, Peter deals with joy in the midst of suffering and having hope in the midst of suffering. Uh, and I know that there are some of you this morning here that are going through suffering, that are going through hurt, and the rest of you I just don't know yet, but I assume that that's true of all of us. Is all of us in some way, shape, or form have difficulty and challenge and opposition, and it might not be as intense as what we're about to read in First Peter from a persecution standpoint, is, is still... Um, Technically, we have the religious freedoms in Canada, and I know some of those things are being pushed against, but I think this is very timely in that First Peter is written, scholars kind of tend to agree, written during the reign of Nero. And if you know your history, Nero was amongst the worst persecutors of the church. And so when we read through, we're not going to get through today, but in the coming weeks as we read through, when Peter talks about submitting to the government that God has instituted before you and realizing the context in which he's saying that, is it doesn't matter if in Canada we have a government where we don't agree with or where we lose our religious freedoms. We're going to be tested and challenged in some of those things because we really like to complain when things don't go our way. If you want to start a fight, all you got to do is write some political post on Facebook and all kinds of people you don't even know will start calling you names you've never even heard. Is This is the world that we live in. And so how do we as Christians honor God's word and yet honor those who are in authority over us? And so we're going to read that as we go through this. And so as the election comes in October, whether we get what we want or whether we get what we don't want, and I'm not going to assume that I know what you want, but it whether it is what we want or not is knowing that God is still in control as we go this, I think will be a very good reminder for us. So just before we read this, I want to clarify one thing because it says in verse 1 that Peter's writing to the elect exiles. And, and that term is used differently here in Peter than in a lot of the other writings. So especially in the Old Testament, when it talks about exile, it's talking about someone who is lost the privileges and the rights of where they are from, and they've been exiled to a place where they aren't allowed to do anything that is from their, their nation, their gods, whatever it might be. But here Peter's talking that more in a, in a spiritual sense, is that if we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, then we are spiritual exiles. We no longer belong to the world. We belong to God. And so while we serve God and while we honor God, we're going to be in a place that is not at least from a long or a big picture perspective, this is not our home. We have purpose, we have meaning. God has placed us here in this time for a reason, but that we are exiles because heaven is ultimately where our home is meant to be. So let's read these first 12 verses of 1 Peter together. It says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Through you, excuse me, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Now, there's a lot in here. And so I'm probably not going to exhaustively cover this to your satisfaction. I'm probably going to miss something here or there. You are welcome, and I would love it if you would uh, call me up and come stop by the office and want to chat Scripture. That would be awesome. I'd love to walk you through this as best as I can and, and study it together. But one of the big themes, and this is going to go right through the entire book, is this idea of hope and joy in the midst of suffering and pain. And like I mentioned, if you're human, you have pain and you have suffering. Some of that, from a physical standpoint, as you get older and as you struggle with illness or perhaps disease or what it might be, you're reminded that I'm not 21 anymore. Ernie called me to go golfing. It sounds like I do that a lot. I've only done it three times all summer. But he called me to go with him, and I was like, yep, sure, no problem. And we went, and then there were no carts available, and we had to walk. And I remember I had just told Shayla that day, it's like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. My ankle, my, I broke my ankle a number of years ago, and it's like a barometer now, and when the pressure changes, it, like, I can tell if it's going to rain. And it was like, oh, it's really sore, but it's okay because it, we're going we're gonna to cart. Ernie always takes a cart, at least with me, and then he didn't. So that was a rough day. But it was that reminder, right, that even these little physical things where there's pain and there's hurt into the emotional things where you've maybe been hurt by somebody or abused by somebody or taken advantage of by somebody. Emotional hurt is a very serious thing. Maybe even something like the loss of a, a job, the loss of a loved one, crisis that you're facing financially. There's so many different things that we can relate to. There's so many different moments. And some of these things change day by day. And some mornings we wake up and we go, God, thank you. I have no physical ailments but there are emotional ones. There are some other difficulties and, and uncertainties that I'm facing. And so when Peter calls us to rejoice in hope and hope and have joy in that suffering, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And, and how can we do that? But before we get there, I want to deal with verses 1 and 2 because often what we do in these New Testament letters is we read over the greeting and then we go kind of into the kind of what we would call the meat or the bulk of the letter, and that's the stuff that we want to deal with. But there's actually some really interesting things found in these first two verses that kind of shape the, the theme or the flow of the rest of the letter. And if we can understand what Peter's saying here, at least in part, because some of what he's saying is something that we're not going to fully understand, but then we can come to a conclusion of if Peter's writing this letter from this standpoint, this is what he believes, this is what his hope is in, this is what his purpose is, 
then we can see his heart of that as it goes through. So we read, to those who are elect exiles, which I've explained in these cities. But then he says this, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. It'd be a lot easier if he just didn't have verse 2 in there. Right? If he just said, to the elect exiles who are here, 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 and here, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Perfect. Easy. That's good. That's easy to understand, but according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Just a little side note is Peter is not going to win any grammar awards uh, in this letter. So if you find lots of run-on sentences and lots of different things, this is just, in my mind, this is Peter's excitement just coming out. And he's just, he can't stop because as he says this, it's like, oh, comma, got something else, oh, comma, got something else. And he just keeps going and he keeps going. I think he wrote it much the way he spoke. And in the New Testament, you may remember, is Peter was not one to think first. Peter was one to act first. Peter was one to get rebuked by Jesus first for acting first instead of thinking first. And so I think in some ways it really shows the human side of Peter and yet the inspiration from God in this. So he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So, so what does that mean? What's foreknowledge? Does this just mean to foreknow things? And, and so kind of as, we as I was studying this and, and going through it, uh, Tuesday came, and Tuesday we started a new young adult Bible study through Ephesians, and Ephesians 1 talks about this same thing. And so, this, except in Ephesians 1, it uses the word predestination. And if you ever want to just have a Bible study go off the rails for about an hour, somebody just mention that, and then off we go. And, and so in that, what we talked, the teacher, J.D. Greyer, in this video series that we were watching, what he explained is some of, these, some of these things that we find in Scripture are not fully understandable because basically if it was, then we wouldn't need God. If we could fully grasp everything about God, then God would cease to be God. And so some of these things are a little bit of a mystery. And so when we try to dig real deep into exactly, I got to understand this in its complete form, we kind of miss the idea of why Jesus said it in the first place. Or why Peter, in this case, or Paul in, in Ephesians, says these things. So let me just try and explain it a little bit better. As commentator Thomas Schreiner says this, this foreknowledge does not merely refer to God foreknowing that they would belong to him, but also means that he set his covenantal affection upon them in advance for ordaining that they would belong to him. Is that clear? Again, in Ephesians 1, it, it talks about this context that God chose us, that before he even created the foundations of the earth, that he knew us and he chose us to be adopted into his family. And so when you think about it in this way, is, is this idea of foreknowledge, God doesn't just know everything that's happened. He knows everything that's happened. He knows everything that is happening, and he knows everything that is going to happen. And by simple definition, this makes God completely separate from us. Because we don't know those things. And many of us have gone through times where we've evaluated the situation in front of us. We've made some decisions um, and, and thought, this is what God wants. This is what the right thing is to do. And then that's all crumbled. And it's all fallen apart around us. And we go, God, why would you allow these things to happen? We don't know what's coming. We, don't, we, we can't see the future. And as much as we try to manipulate it, we just can't. If you're a parent, you know this all too well. Is your desire... For that little child is that they love Jesus 
so much and you work so hard for that and then you see moments of good and then you see moments of heartache and pain and hurt and you wonder, God, how could you do this and why would you do this? I've done everything that I can. And so all of this stuff starts to, to wrestle in our minds, but what the text is telling us here is that don't worry, God's in control and God knows. And we can trust in him and his plan. God has chosen us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But, but notice the why in the sentence. You were chosen by God for what? Obedience to Christ. We are chosen by God for obedience to Christ. We talked about this a little bit on Tuesday as well. Is we all kind of want to know what God's will is for our life. And we want to know the specifics of that. God, what, what, what should I do in this situation? What job should I have? What career should I focus on? Who should I marry? Some of those things are very, very important questions. But most of them, at least in my experience and, and those that I have spoken with, most of those things are really only stepped out in faith and belief. We don't know for certain. And sometimes if we can step back and look at God's will from a holistic point of view or from a big picture point of view and go, God's will is that we are obedient to Christ. So that means when there's a situation in front of us that is a moral issue or where we know it's a scriptural issue, all we're called to do is to step out in obedience and to do it in faith and everything else will take care of itself. Now, the problem is we like to use this expression. Don't worry, it'll, it'll all work out. It'll all be okay. But that's not really true, at least from a human standpoint is we don't walk up to somebody who's been diagnosed with cancer and walk up and say, don't worry, it'll be okay. Nothing bad's going to happen. God will take care of you. All those things, yes, God's going to take care of you, but God may also allow you to die. That's his choice. He gets to deem those things. We do not. And so what we're trusting in is not that everything will work out for our here and now. What we're trusting, and we're going to read this through in Peter, is that we're trusting that everything will work out in the end for in eternity. And so when we come alongside people who have been diagnosed with cancer, we don't say to them, don't worry, it'll all work out. We say, I'm here to walk this journey with you. And I'll be there with you. And God is there with you. And that may hurt and that may come with joy and pain. And we shouldn't even say maybe. Scripture teaches us over and over that there will be joy and there will be pain. And sometimes they'll be together. And that can be difficult enough as it is. We're going to get there in just a second. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope, uh, and we sang that song this morning taken from the text, and, and Jordan did a great job of kind of picking songs that really lead us kind of through this text and, and the realities that we're going to face. Is, this is important. A living hope. Why a living hope? Why not just hope? Because I think through the cross of Jesus, a couple of things have happened. Is one, we have hope for the future because we know he has conquered death. And so we know that death isn't going to be the end, but there's going to be judgment. And if we have followed Jesus Christ, if we have surrendered our hearts to him and made him Lord of our life, then we'll get to be with God for eternity. So we have that hope. But he says a living hope, a hope that exists for here and now, is that because of the cross of Christ, that sin no longer has dominion over our lives. We can now live in the power of the Holy Spirit right here and right now, and we don't ever have to give in to sin anymore. Now, the problem is that all too often we do. All too often we listen to our own selfish desires, 
our own sinful habits of the past. Sometimes we use, as, as Ernie said and, and prayed for this morning, is sometimes we use our own wisdom and our own knowledge instead of going to God and saying, God, what's your wisdom in this? Because sometimes God's wisdom doesn't make a lot of sense from a, from a human standpoint. Sometimes the things he calls us to do don't really make sense. As, as you look at the story of Gideon, and Gideon's got this army, right? And God says, nope, too big. What? My army's too big? Too many people? That's never been said by anyone. Right? And then, so they shrink it, and God says, nope, it's too big. Right? And his whole point is, Gideon, I'm going to show you that it's not by what you can do. In fact, it's what I can do. I'm going to make it so plainly obvious that you can't even possibly argue with me. I'm going to fight for you. Now, the, the danger in that and the reality for us, and I talk about this lots, but it's the same with every aspect of life, is if you want to be patient, God doesn't give you patience. He gives you that annoying person just talking in your ear all the time and that you've got to go, oh dear, I've got to be patient with this person. He gives you those opportunities to be patient. In anything, if we want to have joy in suffering, guess what? You're going to have to suffer to learn how to have joy in that suffering. And so all of these things that we want, that we say, God, I, I want more faith, I want, I want to trust in you more, then our circumstances are going to fall apart even more so that we learn how to do it. That's just the reality. It just, it just makes logical sense in this. But we have this hope that the Holy Spirit indwells us now. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit indwells you, and he fights for you. And so you have hope now. I don't have to give in. There is purpose in this pain, in this hurt. God is doing something through this, and I can trust him, and I can have hope in that. Then notice verse 4. It says, From the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, now if you kind of follow the, the frame of thought in this, is what you realize is that this doesn't have anything to do with us or what we can do. It actually has everything to do with God. Our inheritance is imperishable. We have no direct effect on heaven. We can't do anything about it. We can't make heaven better or worse. We can't. That's God. It's imperishable. He created it, not me. It's undefiled because we can't defile it. It's unfading because it's got glory because he created it. But then notice this. It's kept in heaven for you. Kept by who? By God. Not by us. And the more that I study scripture and the more that I learn about the gospel is the less it has anything to do with Greg and the more it has to do with God. Sometimes we think, especially those of us, maybe I'll just speak for me. Sometimes I think, because I grew up in the church and, and my dad was a pastor and I, all those things were normal to me, is sometimes I forget how wickedly depraved my own heart is. And I think, I maybe deserve salvation because I've done a good job. I haven't rebelled. I haven't done some of these bad things that other people have. And so we think we deserve a little bit more forgiveness than the next person. That is just, that is just Satan's lies to us. And if Paul, who planted more churches than any of us are ever going to, if he reflects on his own life and he says, I am the chief of sinners, I am the worst, it's because he acknowledges his own heart. And when we acknowledge our own heart, then we will see more of who God is, more of who he is. Because I still fight 
every single day the sin nature that fights this battle in me between I have the Holy Spirit now and I want to listen to him, but as Paul says so often, I, I know what I should do, but I don't. I do the thing that I shouldn't do. And I think we can all relate to that at some point. As, as you pray, God, I need to be more patient with my children, and then they become even more difficult so that we can learn to be more patient. There's lots of times we have to go, God, I, I butchered that one. And sometimes we have to go to our own kids and say, I lost my cool and I shouldn't have done that. I did or said this and that was wrong. Those are the ways in which we grow. We don't just grow because we say, God, could you just make me a real awesome dad today? That would be, that would be great. It doesn't work that way. God is keeping these things for us. John Piper says it this way, I am being guarded through faith for my salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, and it is kept for me, and I am kept for it. What a profound statement. Is looking at it in this sense is if God has chosen me, if, if Ephesians 1 is correct, and spoiler alert, I think it is, is if Ephesians 1 is correct, then God has chosen me to be adopted into his family. That means he did it, not me. That means it, the, everything rests in his hands and he's already got it. That means it's not up to me. It's not up to what I do. Now, let me clarify. We, and there's assumptions in this text, Peter is talking to people who love Christ. And their desire is to please Christ. They're, they're not people who Peter's saying, you know what, it doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what you do. Don't worry about it. Rather, he's trying to tell them, while you go through pain and hurt and suffering and all these things, don't worry because God has ordained to choose you. He's picked you, and so he's not going to let you go. He's not going to drop you just because it got hard. He's not going to make you walk this journey alone because he started it. He is revealing himself through it, and he is keeping you for it and it for you. What a profound thought. See, the reality is I never earned my salvation. My salvation was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus on the cross long before I ever came to be. And yes, I have submitted my life to that, but he's the one that's done the work, and so he's holding me, not I'm holding him. And I think sometimes we forget that, and we think that we're holding on to God, and we got to do a little bit more good, and we have to live a little bit better lives, and all those things Paul teaches us all through the New Testament is that's a pharisaical mindset of I deserve heaven because. Rather, what scripture teaches is you don't deserve heaven, but God's going to cling and hold on to you desperately because he loves you. And so if you are a Christian this morning, this promise is to you that it is kept for you by him. Verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There's a, there's a few things I want to unpack in that. But first, notice the correlation. In this you rejoice. So in this hope that we've just talked about, we rejoice that God is the one who is doing it. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So now he's saying, rejoice in that, even that this is happening to you currently. Even though your conditions, the state of what you are facing, may be very difficult and painful, and all these other things, he says, rejoice in that. Rejoice in pain. Rejoice in suffering. Rejoice in heartache. Is this scriptural? Let me read to you a few verses. Colossians 1.24, Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is, the church. 
James 1, 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials, or excuse me, meet trials of various kinds. Romans 5, 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And if you need more proof, Acts 5, 41. This is talking with some of the disciples. It says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. Scripture teaches us that rejoicing and suffering comes hand in hand. And that's just the reality that we have to make peace with somehow. So the two questions that I want to deal with, the first one is why. Why do we suffer? If you read the text again, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why are trials necessary at times, for us to go through. Well, all of these texts that I read, James 1, 2, if you continue on, uh, Colossians 1, 24, if you continue on, Romans 5, 3, if you continue on, and Acts 5, 41, if you continue on, all of them show that the point of this all is that you would mature and you would grow, you would find endurance, maturity, you would find hope in those things because the most important thing is our spiritual growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the only way we learn that, I shouldn't say the only way, we can learn from an intellectual standpoint, absolutely. We study scripture to learn that, but we study scripture to learn that so that when it happens, we know where to go and where to turn and how to respond. And so when we read, and James tells us, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds because that is going to produce a steadfastness in you, and that steadfastness is going to lead to maturity, and that maturity is, all these things, they're going to lead to a deeper understanding of Jesus, a more complete relationship with Christ because we're going to understand him more. And and Paul talks in Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know who he is. And then he has this crazy line where he says, I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Because in sharing in the suffering for Christ, he knows that he will grow closer to the Messiah. Now that's not something that we like That's not something that we ask for. That's not something that we want. We don't desire suffering because suffering hurts, because it's painful, because it leads us down difficult times in our lives. But the reality is is that that's when we either, well, that's when we grow the most because we cling to God and we cling to Scripture and He's all that we have left because we have nothing else and nothing left to cling to. But if we take a step back from this again, it's always important to look at the details and then to step back and look at the big picture again. Is that why can we have joy in the midst of our sufferings? First, we know it produces character. It produces our, our, it, our, our spiritual growth will grow unlike any other time. But also that reminds us and that leads us forward to the big picture idea that this suffering is only temporary. Suffering will only last for a short time. Romans 8, 18, Paul says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and just to clarify, Paul has suffered more than probably all of us, in this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Sometimes it's necessary for us to be tested so that our focus shifts back on what really matters. Like I said, far too often, I'm distracted by the material, by what's here in front of me. 
by the things that I can have, the objects that I can have, the, even living in Banff, the beauty that is around us, that can become a distraction. And so to be focused on things that are of him. And part of this is because, as C.S. Lewis kind of talked about it this way, he says there's this hole in your heart, right? And there's nothing that can satisfy it, that only God can satisfy it. And Matt Chandler said it this way, we were created for eternal things, Therefore, temporary things cannot satisfy you except temporarily. And that is so true. And if you just need proof of that, just go to a house where there's children and it's Christmas. And they rip open that toy and they're so excited for it. For a day, a week, hopefully a month. And then what do we do? We recycle them and we sell those ones and we buy new ones. Because we only are ever satisfied by things temporarily because they're temporal. They don't actually give us meaning and purpose in our lives. And even our own jobs, careers, some of those things that we really pour ourselves into and invest into, apart from Christ, those things all end up empty too. Is Mr. Rockefeller, who was the richest person alive at that point, uh, when he died on his deathbed, uh, and I'm not quoting him here, but basically he said this, is all of it's been meaningless. All of it is for nothing. Peter's prayer and our prayer for you is that that not be what we say on our deathbeds, but we say what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 is that none of these sufferings are even worth comparing what's about to happen. He said, I'm going to be with Christ in eternity. Now, the other aspect of this is that we're going to need to understand how to grasp this a little bit differently. So I have a video that I want to show you. Uh, and this is Francis Chan has a little illustration, um, and I was just going to do it, but he probably does it better than me. And this will help us to kind of just get a little bit of a word picture about life versus eternity and how we can understand this. So, Alana, if you can throw that up there.
sometimes for us to gain perspective means some pretty serious things have to happen. Is somebody who has a heart attack all of a sudden has this, this moment of, I've got to evaluate my whole life. I've got to make some changes if I want to stay here. Someone who's had an encounter with Jesus and, and looks at these texts and sees that we have suffering and hurt and pain and these things right now, but those don't take me away from God. All they do is lead me towards him because there's millions of years coming. And so this is only temporal. If you, if you think about it this way, is uh, temporarily speaking, is we can do anything for a short period of time, right? We can be good. Day five of healthy eating. Haven't snacked once after in the evening since Tuesday. Right? It's like I can do this for short term. Even despite the bad habits that I've had, is I can do this for short term. The problem is, is that the reality is that our life is short term in the grand picture of things. That doesn't make, uh, and I should clarify, this, none of this means that your sufferings aren't real or that they aren't extremely painful. Or that you don't go through moments of despair and heartache and frustration and, and cry out to God. Have you ever read David in the Psalms? Lots of times David's like, God, why would you allow this? This doesn't make any sense. How could you do this? But then more often than not, at the end of the Psalm, he says something to the effect of, but not my will. I'll trust you. Is if we can trust that God has us for all of eternity, all going along that rope, is can't we trust that he has us now in this little short bit? Can't we trust that those, those sufferings and those difficulties and those things that we're going through, that, that some of it is for our benefit from a spiritual standpoint so that we grow closer to him? And then here's the other reality. is Some of it is because we live in a broken, sinful world. But God is a God of redemption. and God can take the broken and the ugly and anything that we can think of, and he can take it and he can turn it into something beautiful. So our pain and your pain and your situation that doesn't make any sense from a human standpoint, it can have purpose. And it can have meaning. These last verses now. Concerning this salvation, and he talks about the prophets and, and how they spoke in the power of the Holy Spirit and they, and they declared things that God wanted to declare about the Messiah and how he's going to come and how he's going to suffer and then how he was going to be glorified. And he says that those who wrote those things, you should be blessed because they didn't get to see those things, at least not in its fullness. Hebrews says that most of those prophets in the Old Testament only saw it from a distance. They, they prophesied the things that were going to come to pass, and some of it happened, but some of it was going to happen much later. And so when Peter starts this section by saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because of these things, is we're blessed because we get to see this from Scripture. Is that Jesus came. That Jesus lived this life that Scripture describes to us and that he suffered and that he died on the cross for us. And so we are blessed because we can know this to be true. We don't even just have to trust that God is right in this. It's already happened. God's shown it to us. And so we can know. It says that they wrote these things not for themselves, but for you, for us. Then he has this crazy verse. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What does that mean? 
Ephesians 3, 4, and 5 say this. Paul's talking to the Ephesians. He says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was, n- which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed now to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Is the reality is there's a lot of mystery in our salvation. But a lot of this has become clear to us because we have hindsight, because we have scripture, because we have the whole story up until well, the church history of it is that Jesus came, that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again, that he went back to heaven, that he has declared he's going to come back and he's going to make all things new. So most of that's happened. We're just waiting for the second coming of Christ now. And so when we read these things, they become revealed more to us and we understand, man, salvation means Jesus loves me desperately. And he went to the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven and so that I could have eternity with God and that, why he would do that and, and all these things, some of that when you get real deep into it, it's hard to fathom. It's hard to grasp. Why would God choose me? Why would he love me? He didn't look at me and go, man, Greg's really talented. I need him. Not the case. Not at all the case. And if you want to come have proof of that, just live in our house for a little while and you'll see that. Is we all are unworthy. Not one of us was saved because of our goodness. We were saved because of God's goodness. And so when, when Peter says here, things into which angels long to look is, is how we need to understand that is in this frame that we and humanity, we alone were created in God's image. And so when God chose to redeem mankind, only mankind gets to be redeemed. And so the fallen angels, those who... Ha- those who chose to follow after Satan's lead instead of God's lead, they don't get a chance at redemption. And so when angels hear and see what's happening, is what Scripture is teaching us is, is they can't even grasp, they can't even fathom, even for all their brilliance and, and what they're capable of, they, they can't personally understand this because this is meant for you and for I. This is meant for humanity. We have been created in God's image, and because of that, we alone have a place in redemptive history, and only we can understand that. And this is why those outside of Christ, those who don't know Christ, think that Christians are crazy. The reasons we do what we do, and why we say what we say, and the choices that we make. Like Francis Chan said in the video, is there's this, such a focus on this red part, and he says everybody in the world is living that way. And so when you don't, when you step out of that and say, no, I want to live like Paul says about this, this race, running the race well, so that I can win the prize, which is the upward, call, upward call of God in Christ, is when I can look at that and that be my focus, I'm going to look crazy to the rest of the world because a lot of the rest of the world doesn't even believe that there is anything beyond this. And so the decisions that we make, the things that we say with, for our kids and for our family and for the future and, and the decisions that we make about our jobs and our careers, some of it doesn't make any sense. We got an opportunity yesterday. Uh, we went to Calgary and we got to meet with uh, several families that all have adopted kids from South Africa. And, and one of them, oddly enough, was uh, Ernie, you mentioned... Um, Mr. Irwin, Phil Irwin, is actually his nephew. It's always a small world. But his nephew, he's a welder, grew up in the Amazon, had a pretty, pretty neat story, but um, he's a welder in High River, and he said financially the, 
doesn't really make sense for him to keep doing this. That when the crash happened and, and some difficult things financially happened, he says it's not really a long-term solution. But he says, but one thing that they do is they actually have a chaplain that comes in, I think it was once or twice a month, that comes in and reads scripture and prays with, this, with his staff. Because he said this is far more important than the welding side of things. And I want everybody that works for me to know that this is the reality of life. There's always ways that we can do things, and that maybe doesn't make any sense. And he said, when this chaplain comes and he visits with people, some of these people, some of these guys are having problems being a father, being a good husband, some of these things. And so this chaplain takes them out, and they go for coffee and all these things, and, and he said, and they do it on the expense of the business, which doesn't have any money to do it. It's kind of the way the church operates, isn't it? In faith and belief that what we give to the church matters not just for here and now, but it can have impact into eternity. Sometimes we don't get to see that. And sometimes we hang out at chilly night with, with people and we kind of want to wish that they would come to church and come to Bible study so that they can understand some of these things, but we have no idea what God has planned for them. But if they come in and are willing to sit down and talk with us, we can share them the message of the gospel. We can show them what it means to be a Christian and to, and to live for God. And I've had times where I've been upstairs playing games with some of them, and they're kind of making fun of the fact that this is a church that does this. And all in my mind I can think of is the only reason they're doing that is they're uncomfortable with the fact that we're loving them and other people aren't. We as the church are meant to love unconditionally the people around us. Our desire should be what Peter's saying here is that our momentary afflictions, though they're real, and I'm not trying to diminish your pain or your suffering, but those things have purpose and meaning and will draw us closer to Christ, and they are all temporal. And though it might not feel like it right now, there will come a day when Christ comes back and we get to go to be with him in eternity and there will be no suffering and no pain. So as we continue through this book in the coming weeks, may we remember we can rejoice and we can have hope in the midst of difficult circumstances because Christ has died on the cross. He's given us a place in heaven if we submit our hearts to him and he's given us the Holy Spirit for the here and now so we don't have to be enslaved to sin any longer. But we can find freedom from that. Let's pray. God, thank you for this text and, and there's so much in it that we need to discuss and and even only understand in part.